Hey everyone, this is Kyle Wildner-Higney, your host for the Outcomes Rocket Pharma Podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming Dr. Jay Weaver. Dr. Jay Weaver has practiced pharmacy for over 17 years, holding leadership positions in both major PBMs and health plans. Currently, he's the Vice President and Chief Pharmacy Officer of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas City. During his career, Dr. Weaver has created and operated specialty pharmacy programs and PBM services for major national carriers. Jay earned his doctorate of pharmacy, master's of public health, and completed clinical pharmacy residency training at the University of Florida. He's currently an adjunct faculty for two colleges of pharmacy. Welcome, Jay, to the show. Thanks. Uh, really excited to be here. Awesome. So maybe to kick things off, could you tell us about yourself, kind of what drew you to working in the pharmaceutical value chain? Yeah, it's a funny story, you know, how serendipity leads you probably to the right places. I started out my career more in hospital uh, pharmacy and found it very fascinating to do more of the clinical practice type work and individual care plans and those types of things. And, you know, as I was completing my training, my residency training, and uh, decided to pursue uh, a master's degree in public health, like my, my focus area was in epidemiology. And as I was coming out of the, those training experiences, I realized that I really wanted to help folks on a, a larger scale, more of a population basis. And that you know, we have a lot of opportunities where, you know, not only is there helping folks to get the right care, but helping them to get affordable care. And so as I entered my career, I, I found myself moving more towards uh, sort of managed care and sort of value change management uh, within first Medicaid and then in the commercial payer space, and then eventually Medicare and, and then, you know, within health plans. And it's, I think, a fascinating way for someone like myself as a clinician to use both clinical and business acumen to really create the most efficient and effective use of, you know, some of the pharmaceutical assets we have. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of kind of our, our guests kind of talk about the power of pharmacy across the population, right? That you can really design these programs, formulary benefit design to really have a positive impact on many patients' life. What excites you about the work you do today? You know, I, I think... Throughout my career, there's been a theme that, you know, you can look at the work that you do through different lenses. But I, I think one of the common things that excited me early on and, and still today is that finding ways to deliver these highly effective therapies in an affordable fashion gives more people access to care. And so I think my platform has really been appropriate management so that we can distribute these assets in the, in the best way, such that if we hold down premiums, there's more people that can afford to purchase healthcare. Certainly, we have more tools today than we did when I, when I started my career. It was before we even had a Medicare drug benefit. So, I mean, just watching wow. the system change around us. And then we, you know, ACA was passed. And so, we now have some avenues to deliver drugs. But even within those those types of products, those insurance products, given high deductibles and those things, that things aren't always affordable. So finding ways to um, keep those things accessible, but also getting the most medical value out of the new technologies that are evolving around us, gene therapies, CAR T inhibitors, all sorts of cellular therapies. Finding those ways to bring that value to and actually see the medical uh, payoff of that and improve patients' lives is what really makes me get up every morning and tackle this job. And you know, I think pharmacy is in this unique position where there's a bolus of new therapies that are highly effective, yet very expensive coming down the pipeline. And, you know, it's on people like you and others to figure out how can we really have a positive medical impact while also, you know, not going bankrupt, 
because they are so expensive. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great comment, and I I think one of the things that I try to help not only lay people but people within you know companies that I work for and the companies that we serve, I try to help them understand that we are sort of in this evolution of care, right? We've mm-hmm. we've paid for hospitalizations and we've paid for morbidity and mortality for many years in many, many ways. And and really some of what we're seeing is a shift out of maybe surgeries or just you know chronic care management, all that, to pharmaceuticals. So our share of wallet is increasing as one factor. So if we were to look at pharmaceutical costs, we could see that you know, it's the most employed therapeutic modality and such that we are taking over other spaces, which, you know, is a good thing. Now we can right. sometimes treat a disease with a tablet that we used to, you know, have to, to cut on somebody. And then there is another reality. Another factor, obviously, is new therapies where none existed before. And, you know, while that seems daunting to, you know, my financial partners, by the same token, we now have ability to extend life in ways we, we didn't before and to help improve life in, in a sort of unprecedented way. Yeah. And I think, you know, keeping patients out of the surgery room, right? Less invasive yeah. therapy and, and treatment is so important for not just health outcomes, but also quality of life, right? The less disruption right. you can provide is, is critical. And so tell me about Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas City. Was it that you, know, you guys are doing different than what other companies are doing today. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's a very exciting time to be in the company I work for. It's it's interesting. We're a um, we're a smaller Blue Cross Health plan uh, than maybe some of the large holding companies out there. And I came from one of those larger companies most, most recently. And what I've learned is we have a really interesting culture of innovation. And that for some people that really understand, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield and other large health plans, and they understand how they work. It, when they hear the word innovation coming out at the same time, they're like, wait. I don't know the blues to be, you know, always leading the charge. It seems like fast followers and those kinds of things. And what, what I learned is in this market, there we have a, a very nimble sort of management team that really is pushing the envelope and trying to find new things to do. So that was really the platform on which um, they were able to bring me in and, and excite me to, to take this role at maybe a smaller plan than I've been in, in the past, but a more dynamic plan. So, yeah. so some of those things that we're looking at is. Given our very high mix of fully insured business, where we really are aligned on medical and pharmacy risk across the population and managing against premium, we can take on doing pharmaceutical value deriving initiatives where the value isn't in lowering the drug cost, but might be lowering medical costs overall. So we found ourselves in a spot where we can make decisions around both pharmacy and medical channel drugs. So, so when I say medical channel drugs, meaning the ones that are paid for with a medical claim, like an, an infusion, for example, that's done in a, a doctor's office, we can look at the best care from a total cost of care, not just from a, a pharmaceutical cost, and, and really look for ways to bring those uh, in unique ways to the market. And then begin to have unique relationships with our provider organizations where we align the risk for drugs against the, you know, the member, the employer group, the plan, the provider, the pharmaceutical company. Really, we're, we're all pulling the same direction, best outcome, lowest cost. Yeah, that's exciting to hear because, you know, that culture of innovation, 
uh, having the org structure be really tight and kind of focused on doing new things. I think that's so critical today in the healthcare ecosystem. And on top of that, you know, aligning the incentives between pharma, you know, the providers and the plan is just going to make everyone incentivized to do what's best for the patient. And I think that's what we should all be focused on. I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, a, a, as you probably pointed out earlier in the, the podcast, I mean, this is such a rapidly moving area, it's so dynamic in nature, just the pharmaceutical industry overall, new products coming out daily, new technologies being discovered, that if you're not on the cutting edge and leading from a innovation standpoint, I think you're going to be left behind in this market. It's a, it's a very competitive time in the space and people are looking for innovative ways to, to deliver medicines. Yeah. And so let's expand on that. What excites you most about where the pharmaceutical value chain is today? And and also, what does this mean for the future? Yeah. You know, I think that in some cases, some of the alignments that are uh, beginning to mature, for example, there are companies that are health plans that are getting into you know primary care delivery. So they're aligning those incentives across those groups and being able to more effectively and efficiently prescribe therapies out of the gate that have the, the most likelihood to to make a difference. I think that's really cool. I think some of the technologies that we are seeing really providing cures for disease that, I mean, let's face it, most of my early career in pharmacy and most of the things I studied in, in drug information, for, for those of you guys that don't know what that space is, it's really reading drug studies and reading evidence for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day <laughs> to know like what drugs really do and don't do and which things are just treating symptoms and which are treating outcomes. What I learned in that couple of years in that training was that so many d- drugs that we use didn't actually bend the curve on disease or fear disease. They were just there to help us feel better while we suffered. And today, I think we truly are beginning to see curative therapies that, you know, truly change the disease burden on, on someone in their life. And, you know, that's just, I marvel at it not only as a clinician, as a scientist, but also just as a human, you know, yeah. just just what a great time. And so are there specific areas of these kind of curative therapies or disease states that you're most excited about? Yeah, I would say certainly, I think everybody's watching closely gene therapies, for example, where we can actually sort of re-engineer the body's ability to fight off uh, disease or to create proteins that we, we might not be able to manufacture on our own because of genetic problems, or um, we can help our, ourselves with certain metabolic conditions. So I think those, both the, both the gene therapies as well as some of the RNA therapies that sort of help us short-circuit deficiencies in our, our genetics are, I think, really an interesting approach to mitigating disease. And those are ones that I think have a lot of folks' attention, one, because they are, they are expensive, but I think we also have to look at how do we capitalize on the value that those can create. So, you know, one dilemma that we have in healthcare is, especially on the health plan side, is if you invest in one of these therapies and someone decides they, you know, want to leave your health plan, you might not see the benefits of that health outcome for for your own bottom line over time. So I think it's increasingly important for health plans to figure out how do we best serve members where they want to stay? How do we best take care of our employer groups where we have long-standing relationships such that if we invest in a very expensive therapy for someone that we we know we're going to see the benefits of it three, five years down the road because they're going to be sticking around and being part of our, our roles. So those are some of the interesting ways to think about our care and the, the ongoing cost of care. 
and we, we talked more about you know some of those other dilemmas that that creates. That's that's I think one of the the areas I'm keeping my eye on most closely. Yeah, it's the patient or member churn, right? And moving yeah. around from health plan to health plan that can create so many challenges and just misaligned incentives too. How do you think that the you know, value chain as a whole is going to have to adjust for this future? You know, that's a great question. I think we're at an inflection point right now where we're going to have to rethink some of the paradigms of how we finance healthcare and uh, who finances it and over what time do we finance it. So we'll, we'll use that. We'll go back to that gene therapy example for a minute and, and illustrate one of the, the things that we're wrestling with at the moment, which is, you know, in some cases we're saying we're going to invest in a therapy that is going to give us, you know, maybe 20, 30 years worth of healthcare value by, by being curative, but we might invest 10 to 20 years worth of costs in doing that. And so what I mean by that is, whereas in the past we may pay two to $300,000 a year to care for someone with a, a very severe disease, and we might do that for 20 years, we might have to take that $300,000 for 10 years of therapy to maybe costing $3 million to cure the disease. And so you're like, hey, there's a there's a return on the investment, but it's it would be like paying for your mortgage all at one time with cash. And that's really hard for most people, right? When most of us take out a mortgage and pay for our house, you know, on a monthly basis over time, we may pay some interest for it. Um, but we don't normally have to come out of pocket for all of those costs for, you know, 30 years worth of living in a home all at one time. And so in thinking about the healthcare financing uh, dilemma it creates is how do we cover that upfront? And then what happens if those therapies for the some folks that they, they don't work for, how do we cover those costs well, when those therapies fail? So I think it's it's creating new ways of thinking about the problem, both the financing side of it, but also, you know, what's the value in someone who who doesn't get all the you know, 10 years worth of cost and the value out of it. So it's we're, we're really challenging our thinking. Yeah. And this is kind of like the end stage of value-based contracting or value-based agreements between health plans right. and pharma, right? I think today it's, I would love your take on it, but I think there's a number of different contract structures out there, uh, but they are somewhat in a nascent stage. Yeah. I think we're, we're very early in the deployment stage. There, there have been some plans that have been talking about this concept for some years and you know, as you dig into it, you know, at first blush, you think, wow, this is a really neat outcomes-based contract that must be doing the person, they failed the therapy, there's some payment back. And what, what we're beginning to realize is most people have actuated those agreements first with just saying, okay, if the person can't stay on the therapy, then there's some sort of rebate back or whatever. And that's, you know, that's one form of it. And I think that that's, that's interesting, but I think a more sophisticated version of that is we really look at what happens over time to folks. And there might be a more granular approach that some people get partial value. Okay, then let's see what the cost should be for them. And some people get full value and, and that's great. And some people get, you know, maybe no value. So really figuring out how to portion that across populations will be a challenge. And, you know, there's a lot of data and infrastructure needs to be able to understand that. But even more so than just how we're thinking about today, how do we use that confluence of data that you create by tracking those outcomes to better know how well these therapies really work? And then we can use that knowledge gained to dial in the populations that we need to be using it for. And I, I would think if you're on the pharmaceutical industry side of this, having that data in your hands could be powerful to say, okay, well, there's there's some people that clearly should get these therapies and some other people for whom it's not working. Let's, let's help to target 
the use more in the populations that should get it, where it's it's a really good bet and we have a really strong value proposition. And let's pull away from promoting it in those populations that may not be um, getting as much benefit. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, the pharmaceutical value chain is in an inflection point. We're still in the early innings of all of this new right. development. And you know, one of the forcing functions are these high cost, highly effective therapies and figuring out how are we going to reconcile that with the current infrastructure in place to pay. It's not necessarily an easy problem. <laughs> I'm glad that you're working on it, though, Jay, because uh, we need a solution for it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of folks are working on it very hard. And I'm grateful for you know the collaboration I get to do with other industry leaders and in trade groups and all these other areas to collaborate on this problem, because it's, it's not going to be one person that solves it. And it's not going to be one player in the ecosystem. I think we have to engender the support of all the different players in the system, and that includes, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, that includes the payers, that includes the employer groups that are buying group benefits, that includes the government, allowing us for innovative ways to do contracting and to work with uh, pharma. I think that there's been some there's been some interesting developments in that space, as you may know. There's there was some um, changes to the laws that allowed pharmaceutical manufacturers to talk to payers earlier about drugs that were getting ready to come out so we could prepare our policies and those kinds of things in advance of a drug launch. That's That's been really cool. So I think it's going to take everybody pulling the same direction to solve such a complex problem. Yeah. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us on the Outcomes Rocket Pharma podcast. I'd love if you could give us a closing thought and maybe the best place that listeners can connect with you. Well, I mean, in terms of uh, on a professional level, I certainly um, am on LinkedIn like many of my colleagues and um, enjoy meeting folks through that uh, venue in terms of just seeing the things folks are posted, posting and the ideas. Some of the trade groups, folks in my industry, a lot of a lot of folks attend meetings like the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy is, is a good one. There is uh, Asymbia is a, a trade group for specialty medications. I think there's many, many trade groups that can help folks get together and share ideas and, and learn about innovation in the space. And then lastly, as uh, partners and vendor partners, I think uh, working through the different players that are at the table, working through these problems, whether it's you know with a, a prescription benefits manager, with the health plan, with the pharmaceutical company, bringing together those folks and having open exchange about how we're trying to solve these issues and then also having an open mind about flexibility and the relationships that we have to meet those ends. I love it. Well, Jay, thank you again for joining the podcast and have a wonderful day. Thanks, pal. Thanks so much. 